Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What up, y'all? Happy last week of ordinary time. Um, well, I guess the last two weeks, whatever. But anyway, this Sunday is the Feast of Christ the King, and this is a bomb.com feast. If you are not feasting this Sunday, then do it. Just just do it. Eat some cake, get some ice cream, eat a burger, I don't know, a steak maybe. It's the Feast of Christ the King this Sunday, the last weekend of Ordinary Time. And it's awesome, y'all. I mean, I think a lot of times we forget that there are other major feast days uh, besides like Christmas and Easter. And we should celebrate them as Catholic. We should, our lives should be informed by the liturgy. So whatever your plans are for this Sunday, make sure they include partying it up because it's a feast of Christ the King and we should celebrate. All right. With all that said and done, that's my, that's my disclaimer for the day. All right. This is guys. See you later. Anyway, um, welcome to Catholic with Bibles. My name is Chase Krause. So we are in the midst of our Galatians Bible study. And so with this Galatians Bible study, as always, we will start with the Greek word of the day. So the Greek word of the day today is what I think is a pretty awesome word. It's annoy toy. <laughs> annoy toy. Uh, it means foolish. So you hear the word annoy in there. Uh, annoy toy. Uh, it means foolish, which is uh, a slam that St. Paul is going to throw down on the Galatians. Uh, because of their foolishness. I mean, so what? like I mentioned a few episodes back, uh, this letter is a bit harsh coming from St. Paul to the Galatians. It's not warm and fuzzy like his letter to the Thessalonican community. Uh, he's, I mean, he's laying down the hammer pretty hard uh, in, in the letter to the Galatians. So, uh, annoy toy. So if you ever want to casually call somebody foolish, just be like, dude, gosh, annoy toy. Uh, fun thing about Greek, it's it the the pronouns implied. It's like it, it's in the word, so it, you don't even have to say you're you're annoyed toy. You can just be like, gosh, annoyed toy, and it'd be like you're foolish, and they won't really know. Uh, if you want to make sure they really know, you can say annoyed toy este, which is like a, a, kind of a directional. Anyway, Greek stuff. Um, so with all that being said, we'll dive into Galatians three. So we're doing Galatians 3 uh, this week. We might get through the whole chapter. Might not. We'll see. I think we can do it, y'all. Let's buckle up. Enjoy the ride, you know. Uh, so just once again, a bit of context. We ended last week with Galatians 2. And Galatians 2 started with the narrative of Paul rebuking Peter. And then kind of going and transitioning into what he probably said to Peter when he rebuked him for his reaction um, when the uh, circumcision party joined uh, the table fellowship of the Gentiles. And he was like, oh, no, I'm embarrassed. And Paul's like, you're an idiot. Um, and so that last section of chapter two was Paul's, probably Paul's response to Peter, but also Paul's response to the Galatians. So it's, this is a bit of a transitional mark uh, in the letter. And so in chapter two and chapter one, two, we had these narrative discourses, this narrative argumentation, and uh, that's going to come up again in the letter, but in this section, we transition. He's not addressing Peter, right? He's not addressing the narrative of Peter. He's transitioning, and Paul is speaking directly to the Galatians, right? He's going to speak directly to the Galatians 
addressing certain key issues. One of the things we're going to see pop up throughout chapter three is this theme of Abraham, this theme of faith, works of the law. Last week, we spent a lot of time just kind of defining our terms of faith, works of the law, righteousness, and all these things. So if you didn't uh, listen to last week, it might be helpful to do that uh, just because we define a lot of our terms. It's really important so that way when we read Paul, we're not, you know, we know our terms have been defined and we all are on the same page for what we mean when we say these things. And when Paul says these things, we know what he means by them. So um, we'll dive into chapter three. So we read, O foolish Galatians, annoy O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, Anoitoi? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham, quote, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, are blessed among, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, let's create some context here. So once again, Galatians, Paul is laying down the hammer against the circumcision party, the, this, the sect of early Christianity who believed that in order to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a true Christian, you also had to obey all of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, namely circumcision, hence the name circumcision party, circumcision, calendar, diet, right? So we have to understand this kind of from the other side of the coin, though. It's pretty easy to see Paul's perspective uh, on this, but let, let's look at this from the other side of the coin, the circumcision party side, right? Well, when you look at the story of Abraham in Galatians, or sorry, not Galatians, uh, Genesis, you know, 15, 16, 17 in particular, and we, we know the accounts of circumcision, right? But here, here's the deal, y'all. We have to kind of read that story with a fresh set of eyes, potentially. So just in brief, we know that God called Abraham out of Chaldea, the land of the Chaldeans, right? Abraham responded in faith, and eventually God uh, appears to him and says, you know, through you all the nations shall be blessed, I will give you an heir, all these things, and a great name, the three promises, and then after a period of time, Sarah doesn't have a, a boy. He's, she doesn't have any children. And so Sarah gives Abraham Hagar, her, her slave, uh, to, to uh, have children. And this was not an uncommon practice uh, in ancient times. And it would be like an adopted um, son, if you will. And so what happens? Well, Hagar gets pregnant, right, and with Ishmael. And then eventually, right, God reappears. And it's only after Ishmael is born that God commands Abraham to be circumcised. Why? 
It's because Abraham didn't trust that God would fulfill his promise. And so he took his own reproduction into his own hands, right? And so God then says, you must be circumcised. Why? To permanently remind you that your sexuality, your ability to reproduce is under my authority, not yours, right? So Abraham received the promise before he was circumcised, okay? So, but the circumcision party, in all fairness, right, they're looking at the fact that in Genesis, God says, uh, they will know you are descendants of Abraham through circumcision, right? Through circumcision. So they're looking at, they're looking at that specific passage, but Paul's looking at the whole story. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You, the promise was given to Abraham before Hagar, before circumcision, right? And it was counted to him as righteousness that he believed, right? That line, that's one of Paul's favorite lines. He quotes it a lot. It was counted to him as righteousness. We'll get to that in a little bit later, right? So this idea that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, but that happened before he was circumcised. So going back to the text here, the St. Paul I mean, rightfully calls the Galatians foolish. Why? Let's go back to the text. Let me ask you, this is verse two. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing in faith? Okay, so remember works of the law, we're talking about uh, ceremonial works, in particular circumcision, right? So Paul's asking, did you receive the spirit when you were circumcised or when you heard it and believed in faith? Well, the answer is kind of obvious because most of the Galatian church, if not all of the Galatian Gentile church, has not been circumcised at this point, right? Yet the churches have been formed and they have encountered the Holy Spirit. They've received the Holy Spirit through hearing and through faith. So Paul's kind of asking them a question, knowing the answer, and hopefully trying to prompt the Galatians to see their own foolishness. Because the circumcision party is claiming that you only receive the Spirit, you're only a true disciple of Jesus Christ, once you have been circumcised. But Paul's asking them, when did you receive the Spirit? You received the Spirit through hearing in faith, not through circumcision. One thing that we have to remind ourselves as Catholics is uh, we know sacramentally that you receive incorporation into the mystical body of Christ and and you truly receive the Holy Spirit at baptism. But for adults, right, for adults, the fact that they desire baptism, the fact that they have responded to grace is a movement of the Holy Spirit, right? For, even for adults, when, when they come to receive baptism, when they come into the, the, the fullness of the church, it isn't their own initiative, right? We talked about this I mean, a few episodes ago. We have Pelagianism and Calvinism. Pelagianism says we take the first step. God sees that and he responds with grace. Calvinism says it's all God, not us. And we know as Catholics, we're somewhere in the middle. So even if adults go and choose to be baptized and choose to be confirmed maybe and choose to enter into the fullness of Christ's church, it is the primacy of grace through faith that brings them there. It is the Holy Spirit that prompts them, that moves them there. And this is what St. Paul's talking about. The, the, church of, the churches of Galatia heard the preaching of St. Paul the Holy Spirit stirred in their hearts. And 
brought them and called them, and they responded to the call by being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And so St. Paul's saying, you guys are foolish. You've forgotten the fact that you haven't even been circumcised and you've received the Spirit, right? And, and furthermore, he goes on in verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So once again, St. Paul, all these amazing things have happened. These miracles have happened for you. I mean, all these people are, are coming to the church. Miracles are happening. And you're suffering with Christ too. Remember, suffering is part of it. Cruciformity is a part of it. All these things are happening. And did they happen through circumcision? St. Paul kind of is having the obvious answer of, of no. Of course they didn't happen through circumcision. They happened through a response of the faith the Holy Spirit stirred in your heart. In verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness before he was circumcised. Okay? So St. Paul emphasizing the faith of Abraham where the circumcision party emphasizing the circumcision of Abraham, which only came about after Abraham done goofed with Hagar. Right? Verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. One thing is super important to remember that St. Paul knows very, very well, and a lot of rabbis knew well, but not, not, all, not all Jews or Israelites knew this that well, is that when you look at the Pentateuch, you look at the Torah, the promise to Abraham was made to all nations, not just the Israelites. Now, he promised that a great nation would come from his line, right? Namely, the, the nation of Israel. But for the sake of the salvation of the world, and this was actually brought to fulfillment just, just briefly in a, in a small glimpse with the reigns of Abraham, or sorry, of David and Solomon. When you read First uh, and Second uh, Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First uh, and Second Kings. Uh, we have these stories, these accounts of David and Solomon, the Davidic dynasty under them, who they ruled other nations apart from the Israelites. Other kings and queens came to them and paid homage to them, right? And even became, uh, were circumcised in order to serve the God of Israel, right? We have these, we have this account and they knew that God chose them to lead the world, Israel being the firstborn son of God, right, in this analogy, to, to lead the world, to be a priest to the world for the salvation of the world. Salvation history is oriented to the salvation of the world, the salvation of all mankind, not just Israel, not just those who are circumcised, right? And so that's what St. Paul is pointing this out. He's saying that this happens through faith, not circumcision, right? Not circumcision. So, a lot more can be said about that, but I want to move on here to, to the next section, uh, which is, uh, you know, 310 uh, through 14, and then, you know, we'll, we'll get into the next section too, um, if we have time. Uh, you know me, y'all. I mean, there's so much here, but alas, I digress. Let's keep, let's keep moving. So, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide 
by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All right. So in this text, there's a lot of quotes. And if you're listening to this, you're not reading along, you won't see the quotes from the Old Testament. But St. Paul is quoting a lot of Old Testament. He's specifically quoting the Torah mostly, and a few other prophets as well. But a lot of Torah quotes, a lot of Deuteronomy, a lot of uh, some Exodus in there. And so a lot of different quotes from Deuteronomy, from Leviticus. Um, sorry, not Exodus, Leviticus. Um, why? Because he's addressing the circumcision party. He's addressing those who, who believe in the Torah, right? So he's really, he's hammering down with these quotes. And so one of the things that, uh, it's a line that we can kind of, briefly kind of pass over if you're trying to read the Old Testament. And sometimes when you're trying to read the Torah, you're slugging through text sometimes because you're just like, dude, I don't really care how you sacrifice a pigeon, right? Uh, but there's a really important line in Deuteronomy 27, 26, and St. Paul quotes it here. It says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. All right, so there was a curse, right? Uh, a covenant curse. So when you make a covenant, right, um, with someone, especially in the Old Testament. Um, you've heard, heard the term, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? It's a kind of a, a playful way of saying, I'm, I promise this, and if I, if I break my promise, I will, I will uh, die, basically, right? We see this in Abraham's story when God first appears to him and he cuts the animals in half and he walks through them and then the fire walks, or kind of floats through it, right? Uh, the animals symbolize what should happen to one of the parties if they break the covenant promise, namely death, Right, And so in the book of Deuteronomy, in this second law, Deuteronomos, right, the second law, um, the, the idea is that if you break this law, the, uh, the, curse of the covenant curses will come upon you, right? And we know it, it did, right, namely in the exile, right? They will lose the lamb. They will be slaughtered, right? They will be gone to exile. They will be dispersed. So we know that the covenant curses did eventually come on the kingdom of Israel for breaking the law, for not keeping the law. And so... Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And so we know Israel done goofed. They did not uphold the law perfectly. Um, actually, not even close to perfectly a lot of the times. And so this curse fell upon the nation of Israel and the curse of the, of the fall of Adam and Eve, obviously, uh, upon the, all of mankind. And so he goes on to say, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for, quote, the righteous shall live by faith, right? The righteous shall live by faith. Uh, or, you know, the one who by faith is righteous will live. Um, it's more of a stoic translation. But anyway, um, now the law is not of faith. Rather, quote, the one who does them shall live by them, end quote. In St. Paul, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Namely, we are still under the curse. We have not kept the law perfectly and all of the hundreds of commandments, right? We're under the curse, namely of original sin, our individual sins, and the fact that the nation of Israel and everybody did not keep the law. They're under the curse. So, Christ, uh, so Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law 
by becoming a curse for us. For it is written in Deuteronomy 21, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might be uh, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So how do we know that Christ Jesus took on the curses of the law for us? Well, it's because he, he hung on a tree in the wood of the cross. Cursed is the one who hangs on the tree. He became a curse for us. He took on our sin, he took on the sin of the world. He died so that we may live in and through him. How? By having his spirit dwell in our hearts through a response of faith. Faith not being just merely an intellectual assent, not saying, hey, I believe Jesus rose, but rather being faithful to his promises, being faithful to his commandments, being loyal by being obedient, right? Fides, fidelity. Faith is not just intellectual assent like we talked about last podcast. It's a response of loyal commitment, of a, of a way of life where we respond in faith by our, our words and actions, our words of actions inspired by faith. The faith given to us by the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, we're just going to kind of briefly read this, this last passage because I want to end up uh, chapter around up chapter three here. So bear with me. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it has been ratified, or once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise, not by what works of the law, not by circumcision, right? That came afterwards. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law has been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So a lot there. What I want to zoom on, though, is, is, is verses 19 and 20. 
if we have time, we'll get to a little bit more. But this is really important. I think this is the crux of the argument. Verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. All right. Well, we know, like we've been saying, circumcision was added because Abraham goofed with Hagar. He didn't have faith that God would, would uh, uphold his promise of an offspring. So he took it into his own hands. God then reminded him for the rest of his life that I'm in control of everything, even your sexuality, even your reproduction rights. So circumcision. But then fast forwarding 430 years to Mount Sinai with Moses and the, and the people of Israel. What happens? They leave Egypt, right? They make it to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, receives the Ten Commandments, which is, St. Thomas says, could be basically discerned by, you know, just your intellect, but God chose to reveal it to clarify things. But what happens? Well, Moses is gone for a long time. And so the people of Israel, what do they do? They build the golden calf. And a lot of times we think, that was so stupid. Like, why did they did that? Well, St. John tells us in his, his Gospels, and, and St. Paul talks about it elsewhere, but it's the threefold lust. What, what do I mean by that? Well, the golden calf, right? And the sin of Adam and Eve, too. Well, what did the calf represent? The calf represented power, represented control, which the Israelites wanted because they didn't know where Moses was. The gold, obviously, right? The, the, the pre, lust of the eyes, riches, wealth but it also was the lust of the flesh. Why? There's a very key line in, in, this, in Exodus. It says, and after they paid homage to, this is me paraphrasing, but after they paid homage to, to the golden calf or built the golden calf, they rose up to play. That's what it says. It's a euphemism for basically they're saying they had a, they had a giant orgy, right? They had sex. Um, and because, why? Because in pagan cult practices, there were temple prostitutes. Why? Because most of the occult practices, you could only worship the deity through sexual acts. Right? So, what was the Israelites' downfall? They wanted control and power. They wanted wealth. And they wanted sex. Doesn't sound too different than most people's sins nowadays. Right? But what happened? Well, Moses comes back down, sees them in the midst of this craziness. He says, who is with God? The Levites rise up. They slaughter thousands of Israelites, that, right, who, who wouldn't stop worshiping in these, through these sexual acts. And then what happens? Well, Moses breaks the tablets of stone that were given by God. So he has to go back up the mountain. And what happens? He's given the ceremonial law. All those crazy laws that the Jews in Jesus' day had to obey that were designed specifically to separate them from other nations and from these pagan occult practices. They were given due to transgressions. They were given only after the Israelites messed up really bad and literally broke the first commandment to only worship God. So for Paul, this idea that circumcision, that ceremonial works of the law, was what guaranteed salvation and the spirit and faith. It's just stupid because it, the law only came after transgressions. Abraham was reckoned righteousness by his response in faith. 
the law, the encounter with God face to face, when the nation, the nation of Israel literally says, and they ate and drank with God, right? And they saw the back of God. That happened before the law. <laughs> that happened before the law. So once again, this, this idea that circumcision is required for salvation, it just doesn't make sense. That's why he keeps calling the Galatians foolish, right? And, and, and he finally gets into the fact that, verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no, this age of faith. We live in an age of faith post-resurrection of Jesus, post-reception of the Spirit. But now that this age of faith has come, verse 25, we are no longer under a guardian, right? A pedagogian. We're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You have been made sons of God. You've been corporate into the mystical body of Jesus Christ. So, once again, St. Paul laying down the hammer here on the circumcision party. Um, and so, this is uh, the end of chapter 3. Obviously, a lot more can be said, but I want to wrap up there just because we're about out of time here. So, next week we'll be diving into chapter 4. Remember, this Sunday is the Feast of Christ the King. Have a steak. Have some ice cream. Have a nice cigar. Have a nice glass of whiskey or something. Anyway, enjoy it. Make sure we're celebrating the kingship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Until next time, God bless y'all. Hey guys, once again, thank you so much for joining us with Catholics with Bibles. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you're enjoying this Bible study that we're currently in. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor. Give us a review. It helps people find us better. Leave a comment. Give us some stars. You know what I'm saying? But also share the word. You can share this on uh, social media. You can tell it by word of mouth. You can just like email blast all your coworkers or whatever. Help us spread the word. Helps people find us easier when they search for us so we can help others grow in their love for Jesus Christ through the sacred scripture, through the Catholic lens. Until the next time, y'all, thanks again. God bless. And thank you for watching or listening to Catholics with Bibles. <laughs>